Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I wanted to begin just thanking you. Uh, I wanted to begin by thanking you for your prayers last week. I ended up having the flu last week, and as many of you struggled through that, but some of you reached out to me and, and prayed for me, and I greatly appreciate that. I thank you for all that you um, lifted up for the Lord. I felt those prayers, and am much, much better today. I wanted to share with you, <clears throat> before I start this morning in our sermon, the results from last week. Last Sunday, for those of you that are... Or that are um, a guest or may not have been with us last Sunday morning. It was our pledge Sunday. We asked people to kind of pledge a contribution, like what they wanted to give. We want to expand our building and our seating and our children's space, uh, a new lobby. There's a lot of things we're going to do. So last Sunday was our first fruit offering Sunday and our commitment pledge Sunday. And so I want to give you the results of kind of where we are and talk about the path forward. Very exciting. So we've got a couple of numbers that I want to show you. The first one, uh, after last Sunday, cash on hand, we've got $700,890 cash on hand sitting in the bank right now ready to go. So that's very exciting for us. That's a great start. Uh, we said to you we want to start when we're right at a million dollars, and we still want to do that. And so we've got a plan for that, uh, about what, what that's going to uh, lead to and how we're going to do that, and, and I'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. 700000 on hand. Pledges, in addition to that, of $967,000. So, in other words, uh, we've got 700000 in the bank now, and then a, almost a million pledged over the next year and a half that people will give on a regular basis uh, over the next 18 months. Okay, then the next thing, Callaway locally will give us 20%. Now, look, these are big picture numbers. I'm happy to meet with you and show you very specifics, but I don't want to get caught up in the weeds right now. I want to give you a big picture, but I want to say cash on hand is what we have now. We actually have brought in about 850000 but we've spent about one hundred and fifty already on architectural things, um, uh, different... Uh, uh, permits that have to be done, all in process to kind of get ready to build. So we'll take, when you take what actually has been given, the 850 plus the 967, Callaway will give us 20% of that, which means they're going to give us an additional $364,000. So when you add all those up, the cash we actually have on hand, pledges, and the Callaway, we're looking at about $2,032,769.07, right? So that's what we have now basically to throw towards this building. And so I've got a meeting with the finance team Wednesday night. We'll look at the specifics of this, kind of how those pledges are going to play out, when that money will uh, kind of come in and, and what those numbers will look like. And we're, we're thinking now, again, nothing's official. We've got to meet and still talk. We're thinking now of an early uh, summer of breaking ground, early summer, because as those pledges start to roll in, we'll get to a million pretty quickly. I had a, a, several people already say to me, listen, we, we forgot about last week, or we were out of town, or we were sick. Can we still give? Absolutely. We want you to be part of this. We set a goal, not a numerical goal. You'll notice I didn't stand up in front of you and say, we need X amount of dollars, or we want to raise X amount of dollars. I, I wanted the Lord to kind of dictate that to your heart. The only goal we set and we're going to continue to push this, is that every family be involved on some level. We had many families give last Sunday to get us to this number. Praise the Lord for that. Great, exciting things last Sunday morning. But there were families that didn't give, and that's okay. 
I don't know who you are. I don't have a list of families that gave and didn't give. I got a big picture list of numbers and how much we have. But I know there's some families that didn't give. And so I just want to encourage you. If you want to come talk to me, if you're still concerned or unsure or unaware or have questions you want to answer, I'd love to talk to you about it. This is an exciting move for our church. Exciting things are happening. And we want everybody to participate. However the Lord leads you, however He directs you, kind of whatever He tells you to do, that's between you and the Lord. But we want 100% of our families involved on some level in giving to the Rosemont Legacy Project as we continue to move forward. So I'm going to ask you to continue to pray about that, continue to trust the Lord. I'll be updating you now regularly on our progress and where we're going and what the future holds. But uh, praise the Lord for what He's done and praise the Lord for what He's going to continue to do in our church as we keep reaching people for the gospel. Let me pray for us very quickly and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you for uh, the heart of these people, Father. So many that gave and are part of this process moving forward. Thank you for all the, the growth we've seen, for the young families, for the students, Father. We praise your name for what you're doing here. We want to be good stewards. Father, we want to continue to reach this community for Christ. Father, we know to do that we need more space, and so we're expanding. We're, we're, we're trying to do everything we can, Father, to, to meet the need of this community and this county and this region. Continue to bless us, Father. Continue to guide us and direct us as we move forward for the sake of your kingdom. And Lord, I pray for our time together now this morning as we open the truth of your word. Speak very clearly to us. Challenge us in our walk. Challenge us in our faith. May we be transformed through the power of your spirit more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and open to Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10. As you're finding Acts chapter 10, I want to give you just some more encouraging news. Uh, if you had been here in our last service, you would have noticed there were about... Uh, 125 or 130 students and adults that had on a D-Now t-shirt. D-Now is something we do every year. We've participated for the last many years in our community. It's where students, high school students, gather together for worship, for Bible study. They go into homes, different families host homes, and we have these students that kind of spend a weekend immersed in the things of Christ and in worship and, and study and Bible study. And it's just a great opportunity for our kids. We had about 125 or 130 with our adults, middle and high school students that participated. So just an incredible number of kids, great turnout. Uh, our family actually hosted, my wife has taught uh, junior and senior high girls for a number of years and loves doing that. So if you're a junior or senior high girl, any student actually, but my wife is, is uh, close to these girls. We'd love to invite you to be part of that. Those girls were at our house. I think there were about 18 girls at our house. And so J Jonas and I, my son, we're the two men of the house. We got out of Dodge. Um, <laughs> We stayed at some friends' houses. I'm assuming everything went well. The house is still intact. That's good. But a great weekend. Very exciting. And so just continue to pray for these kids. Continue to pray for these leaders as God does great things. Now we're continuing our study this morning in the book of Acts. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10. We've, we've entitled this sermon series, From Ordinary to Extraordinary. And it's been several weeks since we studied this. We took some time off over Christmas. Then we took some time up leading up to our Legacy Project Giving Sunday last week. We wanted to kind of uh, immerse our hearts in the idea of giving and prepare our minds for that. So we've taken some time off from Acts. We're going to jump back in today and hit it pretty hard until Easter. And we've called this series From Ordinary to Extraordinary because God in the book of Acts takes ordinary people just like you and me and does extraordinary things in their lives. 
And so we've seen God take the apostles. Remember, if you know anything about the apostles, these are the 12 people that follow Jesus around. After he's crucified and buried, they go into the upper room and hiding, fearful of their lives, scared to death, uncertain of their future, through the power of the Spirit working in their lives. God took them from, from a group of kind of ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He does the same thing through the early church. He does the same thing through Peter. He does the same thing through Paul. And so over and over and over we've seen examples and acts of God taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things. Now here's the connection for you. This is important. It's very easy for us to look at Scripture and say, well, that's a, a, an incredible story. God did extraordinary things to those people centuries ago. But what in the world does that have to do with me? Here's what it has to do with you. As we walk through the text this morning and really through this entire study, you should be asking yourself the question, what extraordinary things does the Lord want to do through me? Like, how's the Lord going to use me? Like, you should be saying, I'm not really satisfied in my faith to be an ordinary Christian. I'm not satisfied with just being a passive Christian. I'm not satisfied just kind of sitting and watching things. I want to be involved. <clears throat> I want to serve. I want to do. I want to go. I want to give. However the Lord leads you. But what can you do? What should I be doing, Lord? How can you use me to accomplish extraordinary things for the kingdom of Christ? That should be our calling. Should be our desire. Should be our hope for the things of the Lord. And so we're going to continue this morning looking at this study, looking at this book of the Bible. And I want to catch you up to speed very quickly before we jump right into Acts chapter 10. The last thing we studied in Acts chapter 9 was the conversion of Paul. Now many of you know Paul. Paul was uh, instrumental in writing a good portion of the New Testament. Paul's going to go on missionary journeys beginning the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. But Paul, before he was saved, many of you will remember this, hated and persecuted believers. In fact, Paul made it kind of his life's goal to find believers persecute them, throw them in prison, do anything he could to stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet radically, on his way to Damascus, the Lord opened his eyes, led him to a saving faith in Christ, and through this ordinary guy, God does extraordinary things. Now, the end of chapter 9, it jumps back into Peter. He raises a lady from the dead. And then the, the story of Peter continues in Acts chapter 10. And so we're going to jump right into Acts chapter 10 this morning. But here's the way I want to do it. I want to summarize the first several sections of 10 because it's all one big story. I want to summarize the story till we get close to the end. Then I really want to kind of focus in and hone in on a section of Acts in chapter 10 that's going to help us understand this incredible change that we're going to see in this chapter. So let's just summarize, jump into it, explain it, work through it together. You may notice in Acts chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles open there, in verse 1, we don't have this on the screen, yet. We're going to get to 10 in a second. You may notice in verse 1 we're introduced to a man named Cornelius. Now Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He's actually a Roman officer and he commands about a hundred men. And the Lord comes to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and he says to him, listen Cornelius, I want you to go send some men, find this guy named Peter and bring him back. So Cornelius listens to the vision of the Lord. 
He sends some of his men out to go find Peter. As these men are going and looking for Peter, trying to find Peter, at the same time, the Lord gives Peter a vision. So let's understand, we've got Cornelius. The Lord has given Cornelius a vision. Hey, go find Peter. At the same time, he's speaking to Peter and giving Peter a vision as well. What's happening here is the Lord's trying to bring Peter and Cornelius together for a very specific reason. So I want you to see the vision that the Lord gives to Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 10. We have it on the screen. Go ahead and pull that back up. The Lord's going to give Peter a vision as these men are searching for him. So here's the vision of the Lord, Acts 10, 10. And he, this is Peter, became hungry. And he wanted something... To eat. But while they were preparing it, right, while people were fixing the food, he fell into a trance, right? So he's going to have this vision now, verse 11. And he saw the heavens opened. And something like a great sheet, like you can just think of a, a bed sheet with four corners, descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now pause for a second before we get to 14. There's something important you need to understand. It'll help us understand the next verse. Right, Peter was a Jewish man, grew up as a Jew, was a devout Jew all his life, accepted Christ, and is now a believer. But in Judaism, there's certain laws that govern the way that they can live. You guys are familiar with this. There's a lot of Old Testament law. And in the Old Testament... In the Old Testament law, there were certain animals given that the Jewish people could eat. They were clean or kosher is the word we would use now. And there's certain animals and things they could not eat. And when Peter sees the sheet being lifted down with all these different kinds of animals and reptiles and birds, many of them would have been unclean to him. So he's got this Jewish background, this Old Testament Jewish mindset. He's not going to be pleased that now the voice has told him, hey, go and eat the things that are on the sheet. And so in verse 14, Peter responds the way we would expect the Jewish heritage man to respond. Verse 14, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, if we stopped there, we would think this passage was about food. It's about eating and what's clean and what's unclean. But there, there's a much deeper understanding and a much deeper meaning that Peter is going to get to now in just a few minutes when he finally interacts with Cornelius. What's going to happen is the sheet's going to be taken up. The men of Cornelius are going to find Peter. They're going to bring Peter back to Cornelius. These two men are going to be in the same room together. And then beginning in verse 34, this is going to be our focal passage this morning, Peter's going to explain this vision. Peter's going to say to Cornelius, listen, here's what the vision's about. It's not really about food. It's about something else far more important. And oh, by the way, Christian, it not only applied to the first century believer, it still applies to us today. So Acts chapter 10, verse 34, the focus we're going to look at this morning, Peter's now going to explain the vision. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, he's speaking now to Cornelius, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. So if you're taking notes, that phrase, God shows no partiality, is awfully important. Verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him 
and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now let's stop for a second. We're going to keep going through it in a minute, but I want to make a point that I want you to see that Peter is explaining to Cornelius truth number one. We have it on the screen. The gospel, very simply, this is the foundation of this vision. The gospel is available to anyone. God does not show partiality. You understand that? Peter says, listen, the, the, and I want this to kind of sink through just for a second because it's very easy for us to understand it and believe it, but are we living it? That the gospel is available to anyone. You understand that? Any person can receive forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Gentile, Roman, Greek, whatever you are, the gospel is available to anyone. Now, it's interesting what the Lord's doing here. I said to you a few minutes ago that the Lord wants to bring Cornelius and Peter together. He does that for a very specific reason. Peter, as we've already stated, is a Jew. We know the background. Cornelius was a Roman official, right? He was a Roman officer in the Roman army, commanded probably a hundred soldiers. And if you know anything about biblical history, you'll understand that the Jewish people and the Roman people didn't get along. In fact, if you remember when Jesus was going to come again, the disciples kept talking to him about reestablishing the kingdom. And they asked, and listen, Jesus, are you going to install yourself rightly back on the throne? Are you going to be the king now of the world? What they were basically saying is, listen, is it finally time for you to remove the Romans, to get the Romans out so the Jewish people can take their place and be in charge the way God designed them to be? So the Jewish people and the Roman people didn't get along. And so God's going to bring them together to show them and to show us very simply that the gospel is available to anyone. Now you may not know this, but up until this point in Acts, this is very important, the gospel had only been presented to Jewish people. And so if you go back and read and study Acts 1 through 9, you would see that the gospel is presented to Jewish people alone in the synagogues. And we read different stories and accounts of how that happened. But Acts chapter 10 is a turning point. Because the Lord's going to say to us, listen, the gospel has been presented to the Jews and will still be presented to the Jews. But moving forward now, the gospel can also be presented to everybody else. It's not just for the Jews, it's for everyone. Now I want to kind of insert something here. I want to I weave something into this passage, into our understanding and, and really challenge you in a very specific way this morning. And I had really not planned on doing this. As I mentioned earlier, I had the flu all week. And so the first half, I usually start on Monday morning pretty early get started praying and studying, but for the first several days, I couldn't do anything. And so I just kind of laid in the bed, and I processed, and I thought, and I, I prayed a little bit. And it wasn't until kind of the end of the week after I'd started kind of working on the sermon that I decided to kind of insert this because I feel like it's going to help us understand what the Lord's getting at here in Acts chapter 10, and it's going to apply it to our lives very clearly today. So, so here's kind of what I want to insert into this study in Acts. I want you to understand very simply that this verse, this passage of Scripture, still applies to our world today. Because we're going to study this now and look at this in light of all that happened in Florida in that high school this last week. All of us have heard about it at this point, I'm sure. Tragic, sad, it, it, it's impossible for us to even understand the scope of what those people must be going through. If you have children or, or grandchildren or aunts, I mean nieces, nephews, you understand that the suffering that must take, I can't even imagine what those people in that community and those teachers and that school system must be going through. 
And it's pretty typical that when a tragedy like this happens, we kind of always question things. Maybe you've had conversations with people out loud, or maybe you question in your heart. We always start with kind of the, the small, superficial type things. Questions like, you know, how did he get through security? How did he get the gun? How did this happen? How did he fall through the crowd? All the questions that we kind of ask ourselves in the beginning of the process. But typically we settle out, oftentimes society settles out on the bigger questions like where was God? Like why would God allow this kind of a thing to happen? And there are answers to those questions, by the way. And if you don't know them, I'm happy to meet with you and talk to, them about, talk to you about them. But that's not the point of this sermon. But I think about all these people went through and, and the, the tragedy that they dealt with and this unimaginable evil. And it's very easy. And this is the, this is the, the important thing for the Christian. It's very easy for us right now to allow the media or a political party or an athlete or a famous person or pop culture or a song or a movie or whatever in the world to kind of dictate to us how we ought to think. We're bombarded with so many people's opinions. It's easy for us to get off track. I want you to understand, anytime we go through a difficulty like this, something significant and major like this, or even something minor in our lives, as believers, this is important, we have to think biblically. You understand that? We need a biblical foundation and understanding. It doesn't matter what the political parties say. doesn't matter who you voted for. doesn't matter what NBA stars are saying. It doesn't matter what pop culture says. All those people may or may not have a place. Their opinion may or may not be valid. But as believers, our answer has to come from this. The reason it has to come from this is, first of all, it's God's Word. It's absolute truth. But the second reason, it's foundational. It never changes. I mean, pop culture is going to change tomorrow, I promise you. The political system will change in a few years. NBA stars will come and go. But this is truth. This is foundational. And so we have to think biblically about this. And I think, it, I think this incident that took place in Florida fits so well into Acts chapter 10, so well into what we're talking about this morning. It, it, it helps us better understand kind of what Peter is getting at if we kind of think through this situation and what's happened in Florida. So I want to point a couple of things out to you, some of the lessons that are important for us to understand. If we're going to think biblically about this, and this sermon isn't about Florida, but it's, it's, it fits so well into this narrative. If we're going to think biblically about that situation and others, we need to understand the truth of God's Word. So one of the things I want you to see, right, Peter's saying to Cornelius, listen, the gospel is available to anyone. This is important. Especially people we don't necessarily understand or like. It's available to anybody. Whether they look like you, talk like you, think like you, believe like you, whatever the case may be, the gospel is available to anybody. But I want you to pull up verse 35. I want you to notice something here. This is important. Verse 35, Peter opens his mouth and he said, uh, there it is, God shows no partiality, but 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now just keep that verse up for a second. Right, Peter's saying, listen, if someone will fear the Lord, do what's right, follow him, then the Lord will be pleased and that's acceptable to the Lord. Peter's basically talking about salvation here. Like if you'll trust the Lord, fear the Lord, follow him, uh, live in obedience to the Lord, then that will be acceptable to him. Him is the Lord here. But there's a, there's a flip side to this verse as well. There's kind of an anti, an opposite version that would say something like this. Listen, if you don't fear the Lord, 
If you don't do what's right, that's not acceptable to the Lord. That if you don't follow Him, if you don't obey Him, if you don't live by His teaching, if you don't fear Him, that's not acceptable, acceptable to the Lord. And in Scripture, we call that very simply sin. So, so I want to just think just for a second about this situation and this young man and all that happened in Florida. You're going to hear a lot over the next many weeks about gun control and, and mental health issues and counseling and security. And, and those, those things may or may not be relevant. That's for you to decide, I guess. But no matter this young man's decisions or his motives or his environment, you need to understand this, students especially, this act was ultimately the result of sin in our world. World. Period. See, we, we miss this truth oftentimes in Scripture as believers. We miss the truth that sin steals, kills, and destroys. Period. And all the things that we deal with and all the issues, those are all ancillary issues. The heart of the problem is sin. Period. One writer said it like this. Jesus was not born into a sentimental winter wonderland of sweetly singing angels and cute reindeer nuzzling one another at the side of his manger. He was born into a war zone. And at the very rumor of his coming, Herod vowed to see him dead right along with thousands of his brothers. See, so we, we need to understand that sin is brutal and it's terrible, and it steals, and kills, and destroys. Go back to the first point, though. Point number one. The gospel, this is, this is crucial for us, in, in the middle of this sin-filled world, and the death and destruction that we see, and all that happened in Florida, and all the things that have happened around, in the middle of that, the gospel's available to anybody. Now watch this. That means it's available to your neighbor, that means it's available to a family member. That means it's available to a co-worker. Now I'm going to step on your toes now. That means it's available to the person that you don't like. Whoever that is. Did you know that? It's available to the person that doesn't look like you, whose skin may not be the same color as yours, who doesn't speak the same way you speak, who has a different language or a different culture or a different background or a different place on this globe that he's from. The gospel is available to anyone. The gospel is even available to the young man that killed so many in Florida. So we come to this place of asking, okay, what do we do about it? Look at verse 36. I need to, I need to speed this up a little bit. Verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, by the way. And you ought to underline that if you're taking notes in verse 36. Christ, Peter says, is Lord of all. You yourselves, Peter says, know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day, made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. The first truth is that the gospel is available to everyone. Here's the second truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. It has the power to save anyone. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. It has the power to save anyone. Pull up verse 36 for a second. Then we're going to look at 35 again. Look at what Peter says in verse 36 about Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, preaching the news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Now, what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord of all? What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord of my life? Now, there's a lot of things we could say about this. We could talk about obedience and trust and faith, living your life for Christ. Like, one of the things you ought to be asking yourself if you're going to talk about Jesus is Lord, are you living your life for Christ or for yourself? Because there is a big difference. But Peter clarifies a little bit of this for us in verse 35. Back up one verse if you would. Because Peter makes this interesting statement I want to think about just for a second. He says, in every nation, anyone who fears him is acceptable. Right? So we talk about fearing the Lord and making him the Lord of our life. And, and what do we mean by the idea of fearing the Lord? Now, when we think about fear, we think about bad things, scary, things we don't want to be around. I'm fearful of the dark or of roller coasters or whatever. You fill in the blank. That's how fear kind of works in our minds. But what we have to do when we study scriptures, we first of all have to come to this place of acknowledging that the idea of fearing the Lord is found all through the scripture. It's not as if this one place, Peter uses this one time in Acts 10.35, and that's the only time it's mentioned. In fact, the Bible is filled with this idea of fearing the Lord. For example, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 28.14 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Hebrews 12, 28 gives us kind of a glimpse into his power and why we ought to fear him. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Now, Israel, what does your Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? That we, we come to this place in Scripture where we understand that fear of the Lord is found all through the Bible. And fear of the Lord is based on His power, it's based on His strength, it's based on His attributes. It's impossible to describe, it's impossible to fully understand. But we as believers ought to have a healthy fear of the Lord where we recognize His strength and we see very simply that He's God and we're not. Now here's the problem. The problem is far too many believers don't understand that. We see God as kind of the genie in the sky. Right? We rub the lamp and we tell him three wishes and we ask him to do what we want him to do. Right? You ever done that? You kind of give him the prayers. Lord, I want you to work on this. Let me know when you get it done kind of thing. Or we see God as if he's this magical genie, this magician in the sky and he kind of does whatever. We don't see him as an all-consuming fire. It's kind of like we went to Wyoming this last summer. I've told the story to some of y'all and Wyoming's beautiful. Grand Teton National Park. We drove through the Rockies at a certain portion and went to Yellowstone. If you've ever been out west or really anywhere that's really beautiful and you come home, it's impossible to describe the beauty of what you've seen. You know, you kind of struggle with that. And even the pictures we showed don't do it justice. You're like, you know, this is the picture, but it doesn't really, doesn't really demonstrate the beauty of what we've seen because it's just too magnificent. It's kind of like that with, with the fear of God, right? We've, we've been given this snapshot, this picture, this little understanding of who Jesus is, but it's impossible for us to fully understand the majesty of the Lord 
It's impossible, us to, impossible for us to fully understand his power and his glory. It's impossible for us to see how powerful he really is. But here's what scripture teaches us. Listen, we need to understand the power of the Lord. We need to understand that he is an all-consuming fire. And scripture would teach us that ought to drive us, drive us away from the sin of the world into the refuge of Christ as our Lord. We used to tell our kids like this growing up. This is a Ted Tripp analogy. You guys that know Ted Tripp and his shepherding a child's heart. If, you've never, if you're a parent, you ought to read the book. It's an incredible book. We read it years and years ago. But he uses this illustration with kids. It's about molding the heart of your kid. He uses an illustration of an umbrella. We used to use this with our kids when they were little. There's an umbrella, kids. And we put this umbrella up to protect you. And God has given us the authority as your parents to teach you and to train you in the things of the Lord. And when we tell you to do something, kids, we expect you to obey us. And when you obey us, you stand under the protection of that umbrella because God has placed that above you as you live in obedience to your parents to be protected. But, we would say to our kids, if you step outside, this is when they were real little, when you step outside of this idea of obedience to your parents, you're stepping outside of the umbrella. And when you step outside of the umbrella, you're stepping outside of the protection of the Lord. And we see in Scripture that God has given us this blanket of protection. He asks us to live a certain way, to trust Him, to interact with others on a certain level, and He gives us this level of protection under Him. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our shield. You see that all through the book of, of uh, Psalms and other parts of the Old Testament and New Testament. But when we step outside of this, when we fail to realize the power of the Lord and His might and His majesty, it drives us. It doesn't drive us to Him. It instead drives us away from Him and we miss the bigger picture of Scripture. Now, I want to say something to you. I want you to hear me say this. This is important as we think about fearing the Lord and trusting Him and living in obedience to Him. I understand that we have regular conversations with educators, and we have a lot of teachers here, principals, coaches, in, in probably every school in the county. We got somebody in our church, probably. So I have conversations with these teachers on a regular basis. And I understand you guys that are out there. Y'all are on the front lines, by the way. And I understand that many of our teachers, and you need to pray for our teachers and students. By the way, we ended the 930 service with this altar just filled because all these students were in here for D now. Just praying for our students and our teachers. But these people are on the front lines. And many of these teachers walk within centimeters of the law doing everything they can to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of them have even said to me, listen, I'm going to share Christ. If they fire me, they'll just have to fire me. But you know as well as I do, on levels much higher than these teachers and local administrators, our government now, oftentimes, has done everything it can to scrub our society of the things of the Lord. And that includes schools. And so it's just, it's interesting to me as we think about this idea of fearing the Lord and doing what's right and acceptable to Him and understanding God. We think about that in light of what happened in Florida and in so many other places. When, when, when we tell God that He's not welcome, we shouldn't be surprised when evil appears. Because He's given us His protection. And, and the moment we step outside of that and don't trust Him, bad things begin to happen. Now, I, I'm, I'm over time. I want you to give me just a few minutes because I need to finish. This last point is, is the key, really. It kind of winds all this together. Because we've already seen. Pull up point number one again for me, if you would, please. Point number one is that the gospel is available to anybody. We, we get that. Fine. Anybody can accept it. It's available to anybody. Fine. Truth number two. Pull that back up for me. 
Not only is the gospel available, but it's Jesus. It's the answer. He's the power to save anybody. So all this sin we're dealing with, the struggle of the world, the gospel's available to fix that. The gospel can fix that. But the question for us now, let's tie this together as we wind this thing down. So what? The gospel is available to everybody. It's got the power to save everybody. So what? Well, Peter answers that in verse 42. Bring up chapter 10, verse 42. And this is going to challenge you. He commanded us to, what's the word there? Preach to the people. Now, let's say it a little more wholeheartedly, okay? He commanded us to preach to the people. He didn't ask us too nicely. He didn't hope that one day we would come to the realization that we're supposed to be doing something about it. He didn't make a kind suggestion in the Christian suggestion box. He commanded it. Peter says, listen, the sin of the world, 2018, the sin of the world, the gospel's available to everybody. The gospel changes people that hear it. We ought to be preaching it to the people and testify that Jesus is who he says he is. Truth number three, we must be his witnesses. We got to tell his story. We got to share our faith. Why? Because God doesn't show partiality. He wants everybody to hear. The gospel's available. It's powerful. It's active. God has given us this plan. He desires us to use it for the sake of his glory. And so I want to insert a narrative. This is the last thing I want you to hear this morning. I want to insert a narrative into this school shooting and mass murder and the, the issues that we see in all different kinds of places. I want to insert a narrative in there that the mainstream media, for the most part, is not going to tell you. I want to insert, really reinsert the narrative, the principle of loving your neighbor just as Christ taught. Of reaching out to people that are on the fringes, of people that are struggling, people that are down and out. Because God doesn't show partiality. We've already seen that. Just because somebody's different from you doesn't mean the gospel's not available. Just because somebody thinks differently than you doesn't mean the gospel can't save them. And in the light of all that, I want you to consider this. If someone could have intervened in this young man's life, and led him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and demonstrated to him real biblical love, I believe we never would have heard his name. None of this would have ever happened. We, we need to be vigilant in our security, yes. But far more importantly, we need to be vigilant in our witness. Loving the unlovable. Reaching out to the outcast recognizing that God doesn't show favors, He doesn't show partiality. He offers the gospel to all that will hear. So I would say to you, believer, as we <clears throat> look at the TV or read the internet or read the paper or go online and read some blog, as, as we in our minds often do is kind of screaming at society, maybe we ought to turn the challenge back to ourselves. The Lord says, listen, get used to it. You live in a sinful world. I've given you the gospel. I've given you the truth. I've given you the hope. I've given you the challenge to be my witnesses. What are you going to do about it? We need to challenge ourselves with the truth of the gospel. Allowing the world to hear his truth. Allowing Christ to use us in extraordinary ways. And allowing his kingdom to be impacted because of our faithfulness in him.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's clear and compelling and challenging, Father, and it reminds us that even in 2018, your word applies directly to where we are. Lord, I I just can't help but think if, if this truth had been applied in lives in other places, some of these tragedies could have been averted. Father, we understand there's sin. We understand there's death. We understand there there are evil people in the world. We also understand, Father, your gospel will prevail. It is truth. It is available. It is active. You've called us to preach it, to teach it, to be a witness. There's no question about what we ought to be doing, Father. The real question is whether or not we'll be obedient. So give us the strength. Give us the courage to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Let us make a difference for the sake of your kingdom. We love you and serve you in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar's open. You can come to speak to me. It's your time to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.